Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our fourth part of a four-part series where I've been sharing breathing mindfulness meditation. There's been three previous classes. The very first class, we went through in a very detailed sense about what breathing mindfulness meditation is, how it's used, what the results of breathing mindfulness meditation is, and how to actually do breathing mindfulness meditation so that you can build a personal practice where each day you're able to meditate two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more. Now, if you've just started meditating with me, you may not be at two or three sessions a day for 30 minutes or more. That's something that people oftentimes build up to. Some people can do that right off the bat. Other times it takes a while to build up to it. You're in your own personal journey on this path to enlightenment. No one's comparing you and you shouldn't compare yourself to anyone else. In fact, your meditation practice is impermanent. There's going to be times where you may meditate more or you may meditate less. But if you can build up a consistent practice where you're meditating two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more, this is where you'll see the most results. But depending on what's going on in your life, you may need to throttle that different ways, but always stay consistent with your meditation practice. Just as a reminder, since this is our last session before we actually start meditating together, just as a reminder, what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is we're focusing on the breath. We're breathing in through the nose and out through the nose, keeping the mind fixated on the breath. Anytime the mind is off the breath, we observe that, cutting it off, letting it go, and coming back to the breath. We don't try to evaluate the thought. We don't try to figure out where it's coming from. We don't try to label it or anything like this. Any kind of thought in meditation that arises in the mind, as soon as you realize it, cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. What you're doing here by following this practice and doing this regularly is your arising mindfulness, awareness of mind, and you're developing right concentration, which is singleness of mind, being able to focus on a singular object like the breath and being concentrated, singleness of mind. Now, when you're doing this originally, when you first start doing this, it might feel weird, it will feel awkward, you might even feel bored or lonely, you might even feel some anger or frustration starting to arise at different times. This is just the mind kind of revolting, not wanting to be tamed. So as you notice that with mindfulness, awareness of mind, that the mind is off the breath, that's where you cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. The reason why the mind is doing this 
is because of craving, desire, attachment. This is the mental longing with a strong eagerness. This is the reason why the mind experiences discontentedness. As long as there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind's going to continue to experience discontentedness. But this enlightened mental state that you're moving towards on this path to enlightenment is to eliminate all discontentedness. And one of the big things that you need to do in order to accomplish that goal is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. So when you're working in meditation to fixate the mind on the breath and it moves off the breath, that's that mental longing with a strong eagerness. That's the mind chasing after the objects of its affection. It doesn't want to be tamed. It doesn't want to sit in the present moment with the breath. It wants to go to the past. It wants to go to the future. It wants to have all these thoughts, these ideas, these perceptions, everything and anything. The mind wants to chase after it. But by you cutting it off, letting it go, and coming back to the breath, more and more and more, the mind develops the ability to stay focused on the breath. You will notice that the mind is off the breath sooner and sooner because that mindfulness, that awareness of mind, the mind will get more and more comfortable just residing on the breath. And whenever it's off the breath, you will be able to easily and quickly just cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath. This becomes really useful to you in daily life because in daily life where you notice discontentedness arising, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. When you're in daily life, you're only cutting off discontentedness and any unwholesome thoughts. When there's wholesome thoughts that come into the mind in daily life, that's really helpful. That's what you need. If you have thoughts about a new business or some training you would like to do to grow your profession or something you would like to do with your life partner or your children or you have an idea about how to improve your living situation or anything like this, this is really helpful for your life. And by clearing out this pollution of craving, desire, attachment, as you purify the mind, getting rid of all these unwholesome thoughts, you're going to have more wholesome thoughts come to the mind. And that's one of the benefits of training the mind on the path to enlightenment is that you will get these wholesome thoughts that will help you to make wiser and wiser decisions and improve your life. It will help lead to better and better decisions and improved decision making based on wholesomeness will produce wholesome results. So meditation is really, really important to arise mindfulness, develop that in the mind, being able to be aware of the bodily sensations, the feelings, the condition of the mind and mental objects, these four foundations of mindfulness that we'll talk about in this program later. And you're developing that right concentration, the singleness of mind. And like I mentioned, if it feels boring or you feel other thoughts coming to the mind as you're doing that, that's normal when you first start because the mind doesn't want to be tamed. It's like a wild animal. And then when you notice the mind's off the breath, just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. And even when your mind is enlightened, you're going to experience thoughts in the mind. You'll never eliminate thoughts in meditation. But what you're doing by developing mindfulness, concentration, and then cutting off the thoughts sooner and sooner, 
you're developing the ability to observe the mind more clearly. And when you observe certain aspects of the mind, you can cut it off, let it go easier and easier. So you're building those skills. You're building those abilities. We're not trying to eliminate thoughts from the mind. In meditation, we are observing it. We're cutting it off, letting it go, cutting it off, letting it go, observing, cutting off, letting go. And we're just constantly, it's almost like having a dumbbell in your arm and you're just constantly doing reps in order to build up the muscle and make it stronger and stronger and stronger. So that's what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're creating and developing mindfulness to make it more and more proficient, having better and better quality of mindfulness, awareness of mind. You're developing and building up your concentration. You're doing those reps. You're building up your concentration more and more and more. And you're building up your ability to cut off the thoughts, let them go, and bring the mind back to the breath so that then you're building that strength, that mental discipline to be able to easily observe what's going on in the mind and easily let it go. That's what we're doing. So you're always going to have thoughts. You'll have periods of time where the thoughts will be quiet, where the mind will be still, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes eventually in meditation where things will just be completely still, utterly peaceful. The mind will be serene. It'll be calm. There may even be some joy there. This will expand more and more in your meditation. But even with that, you'll have periods of time where there'll be a thought that comes in. But as you train more, you'll be able to notice it quicker and you'll be able to let it go easier. That's the ultimate goal of this meditation. So then you take that skills and those abilities of right mindfulness, right concentration, and of course, right effort. Cutting this off and letting it go is part of right effort. And the diminishing and elimination of craving, desire, attachment, all of this is going to build to a more peaceful mind where then you're able to observe the mind in daily life, observe any any unwholesomeness, observe any discontentedness, and then cut it off and let it go while maintaining your concentration. As you do this enough over many months and years, eventually you've eliminated all the craving, desire, attachment, as well as anger and ignorance that we talk about in this program in chapter eight. And eventually you get to the point where no discontentedness arises at all. You can go days or weeks or months, years, where you don't have any sadness, any anger, any frustration. There's no guilt, no shame, no fear, no boredom, no loneliness. None of these discontent feelings and others will be completely eradicated because you've eliminated craving, anger, and ignorance from the mind. And that's where it will reside for longer and longer periods of time, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And ultimately, when you observe that the mind hasn't experienced any discontentedness for a year, for two years, for three years, you'll pretty much know that the mind is enlightened, even though you won't necessarily convince yourself that it is enlightened, because that's kind of detrimental to the mind. Instead, you'll just know, wow, this is amazing. The Buddhist teachings lead exactly where he said they would, to a stable mind, to a steady mind, to a peaceful mind. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have before I guide you in meditation, because 
if you've been doing your work at home from last Wednesday until now, you've been meditating, there's a good chance that you might have gotten a number of sessions in and things might have arose in your day that you have questions about. So the way that you ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and be sure your questions get asked during the class. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you would like. So let me turn things over to you guys for a bit, and then after that, we'll go ahead and do a guided meditation. Hi, David. You mentioned that meditation can increase our wholesome thoughts, and I was just wanting to ask about that. What is it about meditation that can increase the wholesome thoughts? Is it that we're eliminating the unwholesome thoughts, or what is it to that? Yes, what you're doing is this entire path to enlightenment. You're purifying the mind, you're clearing out all the unwholesomeness. And when you clear all that out, what comes through are the wholesome thoughts. So if your mind, either now or in the past, has been bombarded by unwholesome thoughts, this is the way that the unenlightened mind functions. But when you start eliminating the craving, desire, attachment, the anger, hatred, ill will, the ignorance, delusion, confusion, the unknowing of true reality, when you start eliminating all of this pollution of mind, then you'll notice more and more wholesome thoughts that are coming into the mind. Once the mind gets into the jhanas, which we talked about two Sundays ago, as the mind moves into the jhanas, this is where the third eye opens up, or the Buddha also used the word the divine eye. This is an inward-looking eye where the mind has been trained so well that it deeply understands the wisdom of this path. It's starting to more fully understand that, and you can observe the mind with a lot of clarity, and you know and understand things that the average person in life doesn't really understand. And this inward-looking eye helps to bring clarity to the mind because you start being able to observe the mind with more clarity. And with this training that you do, you're able to observe the unwholesome thoughts sooner and sooner and cut them off and let them go, cut them off and let them go. And eventually they never arise anymore because you've cut them off and let them go. You've gone back to the root. So if you had a tree and you just cut the twigs at the end of the tree, they're going to regrow. They're going to keep regrowing leaves. Even if you cut off a branch, it's going to keep growing. But if you cut this plant back so far, all the way to the stump, and then you even dig down and get the roots out, then when you get the roots out, this plant can't regrow. So the three unwholesome roots of craving, anger, and ignorance, as you're uprooting this, you're cutting the tree back, you're cutting the bushes back more and more and more, getting it down to a stump, and then starting to clear out the roots and get the roots out more and more and more. And then it can't grow back you won't have the arising of unwholesome thoughts because you've uprooted the cause and conditions that are creating the unwholesome thoughts. I was also wondering about the longer meditation sessions. What is it about longer meditation sessions, for instance, 30 minutes or more that can make them so effective? Yeah, so the brain and the mind are two separate things, but there is a connection between these two. And one of the things that we understand today is that when we're training the mind, there are changes that happen to the physical brain. 
And what the scientists are telling us through their research is much like what we understand about the mind and enlightenment, that once a, a mind is enlightened, it doesn't revert backwards. It doesn't go back to the unenlightened state. The scientists are telling us that people who are meditating for 25 minutes and longer on a continuous, consistent schedule for multiple years at a time, that they're observing in their modern equipment that there's changes to the physical brain and that these changes to the physical brain, once they get to a certain point, they also don't revert backwards either. So what people are observing is that this 25, 30 minutes is like the real sweet spot. Now people start out oftentimes a minute, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And that's fine because people need to gradually build up their practice. But ultimately, if you can be in meditation for that 30 minutes plus, then you're giving the mind enough time to really train deeply, experience these changes in the mind, but also experience these changes in the brain as well. So the longer sessions, it's the same thing like if you were to pick up a dumbbell and you did three reps and put it down, the muscle isn't going to really grow with just three reps. But if you did five sets of 20 reps, then you're going to see growth in the muscle because there's more reps there. There's more exercise. So the more exercise that you give to the mind, the more change, the more results, the more benefits that you're going to see. And from what I've observed, what I see the scientists talking about and talking with other practitioners as well, it's that 30 minute mark that is really the sweet spot for what people seem to observe for their own practice, that that's the amount of time that it really takes to create real lasting change. But again, people are going to need to build up to that. There's a lot of breathing involved with meditation. So I was wondering if you can differentiate meditation from such as a breathing exercise. Yeah, so I'm familiar with things like pranayama breathing. I haven't really trained in it, but I know of it from being around yoga communities. And I've seen some other kind of breathing exercises and stuff like this. The breath that we're using in meditation, the reason why we're using it is because the breath is the present moment. When you breathe, that's right now, right? That's right now. So what we're trying to do is this mind that's going to the past, going to the future, wandering around with all these thoughts, ideas, perceptions, it wants to be somewhere else. It's not interested in being in the present moment. So we're using the breath and meditation in order to train the mind to be in the present moment right now. It's a really easy thing to connect and fixate the mind on in order to bring the mind into the present moment. The breathing exercises that different traditions and things like pranayama breathing and things like this, they have their own specific goals of what they're trying to accomplish. And I wouldn't even be able to speak on those things since I've never really explored them. But the breath and breathing mindfulness meditation, it's solely for bringing the mind into the present moment. Then through observing the breath, you can observe, is it short? Is it long? You know, am I taking these rapid kind of short breaths or am I doing these really nice gradual long breaths. Once the mind is fixated on the breath and in the present moment, if you can slow your breathing down, 
and not in a controlled fashion, but just kind of a natural breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose, just these natural breaths. Not only are you fixating the mind in the present moment, but you're able to slow the mind down because nowadays a lot of minds are kind of on overdrive. They're overactive. The mind is kind of used to bouncing around from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and cycling very quickly, very rapidly. So by you fixating the mind on the breath, the present moment, and then using the body to really slow the breathing down, this will help to slow the mind down. And then this is where your real clarity comes in. Because as you're building this mindfulness and this concentration, and you're taking right effort to cut off and let go of craving, desire, attachment, by slowing the mind down, then not only in meditation, but in daily life, with this mind that is able to just very consistently, in a nice, stable, steady way, just be very steady and consistent and gradual, you can observe more of what's going on around you. You can take in what people are sharing with you. You can think through your thoughts and have very well-developed speech. So you're speaking through a mind that's been slowed down and you have clarity of thought. Rather than a mind that's like overactive and processing a lot and just blah, 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 just rambling out a bunch of thoughts, this isn't producing the best benefits in your life when that's happening. When the mind is overactive and we're just rattling off a bunch of things, we're not putting the best speech out into the world and we're not communicating clearly. So therefore, we're not getting very good results in our personal and professional relationships. But by purifying the mind, getting rid of all the unwholesomeness, having a wholesome mind that's purified and having it slow down where it's steady and consistent, then you've got clarity of mind. And now you can really focus the mind on practicing things like right speech, sharing speech and communicating in certain ways, taking in what people are saying, responding back rather than reacting, responding back. And this is going to produce better results when the mind is slowed down and it has the ability to process what's coming in, make some wise decisions, and then put something out into the world that's not going to cause any harm. And therefore, if we're not causing harm, we'll just experience wholesome results in our life. But we've got to clean up our practice. We've got to clean up the mind through this training to get to the point where we're not causing harm through any of our intentions, speech, actions, livelihood, and so forth. Thank you for the explanation, David. Let's get a basin now. And Jim, I have a question from Hussein. He says, I have been practicing meditation for about four years till now, and I am unable to calm down the mind completely. So is there any certain or specific technique to calm down the mind completely? Yes, this meditation that we're doing today is the meditation that is going to help calm the mind down. But it's not just meditation by itself. I imagine that if you've been meditating for four years and your mind is not calm yet, that means that you're probably not meditating the way that I'm sharing. And what I share is what the Buddha shared. And also, you're probably not practicing all the other steps of the Eightfold Path. What's really important is to not just have a meditation practice, but to understand that this is a life practice. 
there's lots of people in the world that are meditating, much like you, Hussein, and they're experiencing whatever results they're experiencing. But it's not until you put your meditation practice together with a life practice that fully encompasses the eightfold path that you're going to see all the results. Because if you're not meditating properly with the guidance of a teacher, just having a teacher and receiving guidance is going to be really helpful for you. But also, if you're not currently putting it together with things like right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and ultimately right concentration, if you're not developing your entire life practice, you're just meditating and then going out into the world, well, maybe you're meditating for 20, 30 minutes a session, but all those other hours of your day, the 12 or 14 hours of your day, you're not doing the training with your mind. You're not maintaining mindfulness. You're not practicing singleness of mind. You're not cutting off the unwholesome thoughts and bringing the mind back to the breath and ensuring that you're maintaining your practice throughout your day. So by improving your meditation with guidance from a teacher and by improving your life practice where all throughout your day you are practicing the teachings, this is going to gradually culminate into more and more benefits for you. Madame has a question. She says, is there any significance to breathing slower during meditation and over time being a goal? Over time being a goal? Is that what you said, Basim? Okay. Yes, exactly. So, yes, you know, the slowness of the breath is really important. You know, and if I can kind of use my hand here, I'll just kind of breathe because it's hard for you guys to hear my breath. I'll use my hand. I'll open like this when I'm breathing out and I'll close like this when I'm breathing in. Okay. So you guys can see kind of the pace of the breath. I would say in a complete inhale and exhale takes me about 30 seconds if I'm breathing in meditation and, and doing proper meditation in my practice. And that's kind of what you would like to build to where you've got this elongated breath where it's nice and gradual, nice and slow. You even can observe the gaps between the inhale, then there's kind of this gap, and then there's the exhale, and then there's this gap, and then there's the, you know, the inhale. So let me just use my hand as a way to show you the inhale and exhale and the speed at which I breathe, which isn't very fast at all, because then you can kind of get a general idea just about the pace of the breath that I'm using. And it took a lot of work to slow the breath down to this point and to be able to slow the mind down to fixate on the breath in this slow pattern. But in doing so, what it does is it completely slows down the mind when you do this over multiple sessions. So I'm going to keep my hand closed and then I'm going to take a nice inhale and I'm going to expand my hand as I'm inhaling. And then when I get to the top of that inhale and I start doing the exhale, I'm going to start closing my hand until I get down to a fist. And I'll do that a few cycles so you can see the pace at which I'm breathing. So here we go.
So that's about the pace that I'm going in a meditation practice. And you might have to train to kind of get to that point. You, if you notice that the breath is rapid and short, this is usually because the mind is overactive. And calming the mind down, focusing on the breath, slowing the breath down, that will help to slow the mind down. All of this stuff is working together. So you'd like to have a nice, gradual, steady breath. And those gaps of air where you're not breathing, you're not inhaling or exhaling, but there's a bit of a gap, that's actually really helpful for the mind to realize that you're not going to die if you don't take a breath for five seconds or 10 seconds or so. The mind is just fine. So those little gaps can be really helpful to still the mind as well. Well, the second part of Manal's question, she says, does that change the mind-brain connection deeper? It probably can. Yeah, it can probably kind of make that connection. I don't know for sure because I, I haven't researched the brain, but I imagine that that probably helps to experience that. Well, we have a question from Rick. He says, my breathing tends to be twice as fast as the rate of your fist. Like I'm not getting enough oxygen. How would I train the body to be able to adjust the body? Yeah, so not everybody's going to breathe exactly the same way that I do. And it makes sense that you're not able to do that right now, for sure, because it took me, you know, many years to build up to the point where I can breathe that way. And that was comfortable for the body and the mind. But that's something that you can work towards. So just slowing the breath down, slowing the mind down, realizing that you don't need to kind of gasp for air or you don't need that real quick breath. You might even decide to just work on the breath by itself without meditating, just kind of sit in a chair somewhere and just kind of focus on the breath with the eyes open or lay it down on a bed where you can get kind of full capacity of lung. Sometimes when you're sitting, in the cross leg position or even in a chair, the lungs can be compressed a little bit. So be sure the spine's nice and erect or lay down flat and maybe just focus on breathing. I used to do this sometimes is just do the breath work and not even try to focus the mind on the breath and meditation because that's kind of like putting it all together. I would just kind of focus on kind of breathing naturally without it being forced and kind of training the mind that I don't need to take these real gulps of air and these real rapid breaths that the body and the mind can sustain itself on just a nice, gradual, steady breath and being comfortable with that. So it's going to take time to kind of gradually work towards that. But those are some suggestions. Doing some dedicated breathing sessions. Do it maybe lying where you're lying down and you can get full capacity of the lungs. Or if you're going to do it seated, Make sure the spine is nice and erect. And then your meditation is where you're kind of putting it all together. Thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. Okay. So let's go ahead and do a breathing mindfulness meditation session together. And we'll open things up at the end of class when we're done with our meditation to any questions you guys have from that point too. Because next week we're going to move into loving kindness meditation which is going to build on what we've already been doing here. So it's good that you're developing your practice with breathing mindfulness meditation because the way that we do loving kindness is just going to build on that. 
So you'd like to get all your questions asked during this class so that you can just kind of build from this point forward. And we're also going to be not only doing loving kindness meditation in four sessions like we did this class, but then after that, we'll do chanting for four sessions, build up your chanting practice. And then after that, we're going to rotate. We're going to do breathing mindfulness one Wednesday, loving kindness the next Wednesday, breathing mindfulness, loving kindness. So this isn't like your last chance to ever ask any questions about breathing mindfulness meditation, but you would like to kind of really be sure that you get a real healthy dose of how to do breathing mindfulness meditation because everything's going to build as we go through the program. So let me go ahead and invite you to take a position for meditation, whether you're seated on the floor or you're seated in a chair. Go ahead and make your lower body and your upper body comfortable. Not luxurious, but comfortable. The upper body should be nice and erect. This is going to keep the mind attentive and alert. Your hands and arms should be placed in your lap. The Buddha put right hand over left with his thumbs together. Or you can just put your palms on your thighs or your knees or the armrests of a chair. Up to you. But essentially, when you go into meditation, the lower body should be comfortable, not luxurious and not painful, but just comfortable. And it's almost like the lower body and the hands and arms don't even exist. They're just completely relaxed without any muscles engaged whatsoever. That will really help to calm the mind. Then with an erect spine, not real rigid and not slouched, but erect spine, close the eyes and start focusing on breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in and out. Breathing in in out start fixating the mind on the breath the sound of the breath or sensation of air moving into the nose the breath is the present moment fixate the mind there on the inhale breathing in And the exhale, breathing out. I'm going to do some chanting in a bit in order to ease us into meditation. But I'm not going to do any guidance after the chant. So I'm just going to give you your guidance here. As the mind's focus on the breath, Anytime you notice that it's off the breath, cut it off, let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in 
and out. These cues are just a reminder for you. You breathe wherever it's comfortable. Just remember to breathe in nice, steady, gradual breath, experiencing the full breath. Maybe you observe that gap between the inhale and the exhale. Just some stillness there. And then the exhale. Nice and gradual. Breathing in. In, out. Anytime you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off and let it go. Come back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Anu te ro puri 
สะนามาสติสัตตาวามานุสนังโตภะคะวะต
All right. So what you would like to do is get to the point in your meditation where things ultimately become just so utterly peaceful, utterly calm, that you can't imagine being anywhere else but right there meditating. Almost to the point where the mind is basically so content that if you died in that moment, you'd be completely fine with that. That's where you'd ultimately like to get to with your meditation, where there's just nothing else in the world that you could see that you're interested in doing other than focusing on that breath. That's where the mind is let go of everything. It doesn't want to go to the past. It doesn't want to go to the future. It doesn't have all these wants and expectations and cravings. And it could utterly just die right there and be completely content. And if you can build up to that and it may take years to get to that point but that's ultimately what you would like to do is just get to complete utter peacefulness where the mind is let go of everything 
and it can just be completely still in those moments of meditation. So let's see what questions you guys have about breathing mindfulness meditation. Remember, you can ask questions by putting those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or raise your hand electronically and our moderators will call on you. Hi, David. I had a question related to Sunday's class. When we find ourselves in deep meditation and we're experiencing that stillness that you're speaking of, are we, are we still bound by the 10 feathers? Are we temporarily unbound by them in some sense? That's kind of an interesting question. If the mind isn't enlightened, the fetters are still there. They just aren't arising in that moment. So there's still craving, desire, attachment, but there's no arising of it. It's kind of like in the corner. But that stillness, if you're experiencing that stillness, that quietness, that utter peacefulness where there's nowhere else in the world that you'd like to be and you could die in that moment, if you're experiencing that while there's still fetters there, you might think of that like temporary enlightenment, even though there's no such thing. You can think of it that way, that if you can get even just two seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds of just utter peacefulness and stillness in the mind during meditation, this is proof to you that enlightenment is possible. Because if you can even just get one second of complete stillness and peacefulness in meditation, that shows you the possibility. That shows you that the mind has the capability of actually attaining that. And now it's just a matter of learning more and more about this path where you can expand that one second into longer and longer periods of time where now weeks and months and years go by and there's no discontentedness and the mind is utterly still, calm and peaceful very stable, just like it was for that one second or that five seconds in meditation, you would like to be able to expand that beyond just in meditation. And that's where the whole life practice comes together. So the fetters are still there. They're just not arising. And what you would like to do is get to the point where you do what the Buddha calls destroying them or eradicating them or obliterating them. He also talked about not tolerating them so that if they arise, you cut them off and let them go. You don't want to tolerate it. That when ill will arises or anger or hatred or frustration, you just don't tolerate it. It's like, get out of here. Or any kind of central desire arises, don't even tolerate it. Just cut it off and let it go. Or any other aspect of these fetters, any other aspect of the unwholesomeness that we'll talk about as part of this program, you just don't tolerate it. And as soon as you observe it, cut it off and let it go. I had a question about when we're meditating and our thoughts turn to meditation and then evaluating our meditation. And I found this can sometimes happen when we are reaching that state of deep meditation. And then all of a sudden our mind notices it and then it kind of pulls us away from that deep state. I was wondering if you had any advice on dealing with that. Yeah, what happens is as you experience this peacefulness, this calmness, even for a few seconds or 30 seconds or a minute, as you're experiencing it for the first several times, it's like, whoa, what is that? (laughs) You know, you're, you're not used to it. You've never experienced that before. It's like, oh, that tasted good. I want some more of that. You know, the mind starts craving it. And then as soon as you crave it, then it's gone. It's like, whoa, what happened to it? Why'd it go? Oh, because it, because you were craving it. 
So when you experience that peacefulness, that calmness, or even that joy that comes into the mind during meditation, you just remain unaffected. Just keep focusing on the breath. Even though there's all this peacefulness permeating in the mind, there's this calmness permeating the mind, there's this joy that's just flowing into the mind, you know it's there, but you just remain unaffected and just keep focusing on the breath. I talk about this as you've heard this before, James, standing in the middle of the street naked in the sun shining on you, just be unaffected. And then if it starts raining, you're just unaffected by it. You just have no worries in the world whatsoever. You're just constantly focused on the breath. And here comes all that peacefulness rather than look. Oh, wow. Look, there's the peacefulness. That's what the teacher was talking about. Oh, my goodness. Here it comes. Oh, now it's gone because you started craving it. Right. Or, oh, my goodness. Look at that calmness. Look how calm the mind is. I must be really doing this well. Well, there's that arrogance. There's that pride. It's going to disappear. Oh, look at all that joy. Oh, my goodness. Like, wow, all this joy. There you go. It's craving. So you've got to stay steady. The Buddha talked about it as a pillar or a post. So if you think about a pillar or a post driven deep, deep, deep into the ground, it's nice and stable and steady. It's unaffected by the wind. It's unaffected by the sun. It's unaffected by the rain. It's unaffected by the snow or anything that comes by. It's a pillar driven deep, deep, deep into the earth. That's what you would like to do with your meditation and in daily life, too, is get to the point where the mind is so stable and so steady that no matter what's happening, whether it's peacefulness that's coming into the mind or you observe something in the world that you disagree with, you don't want the mind to be shaken up by that. It's like, okay, I disagree with that, but it's not part of my decision, so I'm not going to allow the mind to be affected by it. So even though you'll see things in the world that you disagree with, those things aren't the problem. Those are things that other people are making decisions about, and that's their decisions. But when we choose to then become discontent because of it, that's when it starts affecting our mind. So even when you observe things that are unwholesome or things that you disagree with remain unaffected, or you see this peacefulness come into the mind during meditation or outside of meditation, just remain unaffected. And that will ensure that it permeates more and more in the mind and it will linger for longer. And you'll get these longer and longer periods until you get what the Buddha called residing in peacefulness. You would like the mind to reside there permanently. If you were a guest and you went to somebody's house and you were like, oh my goodness, you got Doritos? Give me some of those Doritos. Oh my goodness, the soap in your bathroom smells so good. Give me some of that. Give me some of that. Or, oh my goodness, your food, your lasagna is so good. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. If you had that, your friend would be like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, get out of my house. Like, you can't reside here. You're too, you're too craving too much, right? People would probably kick you out of their house. This is the same thing. If you go into this peaceful dwelling, into this calm dwelling or this content, this serene, this joyful dwelling, and you start craving, it'll kick you back out because you're craving. It's like, oh my God, there's that peacefulness. Oh, I want it. I want it. I want it. No, get out of here. You can't have it. You're craving too much. So when you start tasting some of these qualities of mind, you just would like to remain unaffected like that post or pillar in the ground, nice and steady.
I suppose that's a nice reminder that it's important that not only are we not pulled into the negative things, but also that we don't allow our mind to be pulled into things that we may perceive as positive as well. Yes. We stay in the middle. If you cling to anything, even the wholesome positive things, it's going to lead to discontentedness. That craving, desire, attachment, that clinging, even to something like, let's just use meditation since that's what our class is about. If you crave meditation, if you want meditation so bad and you cling to it and you hold on to it, there's going to be situations where you can't meditate. Either the physical body is going to not be able to do it in terms of getting into a certain position or maybe time-wise, maybe you're traveling with family, with other people, you're not going to be able to do it. Who knows? There's umpteen number of reasons why there's going to be situations in your life where you're not going to be able to meditate. Of course, you would like to make those as few and far between as possible, but there are going to happen. If the mind is craving meditation, it has this mental longing and strong eagerness, as good and wholesome as meditation is, if the mind longs for it, it has this strong eagerness, it's clinging to it. When you can't meditate, the mind's going to be upset. The mind's going to be angry. It's going to be frustrated. It's going to be irritated because it's holding on to meditation too tight. And then conversely, if you were complacent about meditation and you really didn't put forth any effort and diligence to actually meditate, you're not going to see improvement in the mind either. So that's where you find that middle where you're consistently meditating two or three times a day, but you realize your meditation practice is impermanent. It's going to go up and down. I can give you an example from my life. The last week and a half, I've been taking my son to school. He just started a new school and they just went back to school for COVID. And my wife's been working a lot outside the house. So she's leaving at like 630 in the morning. So it's come to me to start taking him to school, which normally my wife would be taking him to school. So my normal pattern is I wake up in the morning, use the bathroom and then meditate right away. But for the last week and a half, I haven't been able to do that because it's different than my normal flow. That's not the way I normally do things where I wake up and really early and take him to school. That's not the way that I normally do things. So for the last week and a half, I haven't gotten a meditation session right away when I wake up in the morning for the last few days. There's been a couple where I've been able to still stick with that. But what I've been doing instead is kind of really focusing on the evening meditation and maybe some meditation during the daytime, which I don't typically do. So even though I have this plan and this goal, this objective to meditate two or three times a day, when I do that and how it happens and how it all gets orchestrated is going to change as our life changes. So with my son going back to school, going to a new school, my wife working outside the home for the last week or two, our schedules have shifted and changed. So that means if I was holding on to meditation and I had to do it every single morning at a certain time and my mind was fixated to that, I would be discontent during this time where things have shifted and changed. There's been some impermanence that's come in and I'm not able to do what I've been doing for the last many, 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 many months and years of meditating first thing in the morning. So even something as wholesome as meditation, if you hold on to it tightly, it's going to cause the mind discontentedness. But if you understand it's a life practice, it's a journey, there's going to be impermanence. Maybe you kind of go for a month or two or three where you're meditating at a consistent time 
and you're noticing a lot of peacefulness come into your meditation. But then as things shift and change, you get a new job, maybe you move, maybe you go on holiday with your family or different things like this. You're not going to be able to stick to that schedule. If the mind craves permanence and wanting that schedule to be permanent, then when all these things shift and change, you're not going to experience peacefulness because the mind's going to be discontent because it's holding on to this schedule of the past. It's holding on to meditation. And you've got to realize like, okay, I can kind of maybe cut back and just do like one meditation a day until I kind of get the schedule kind of evened out. Or maybe I can move this morning meditation to afternoon and maybe it works out there instead. So rather than have this fixed, rigid, permanent schedule that the mind's trying to maintain, you just kind of ebb and flow with it and make sure that you're staying dedicated to two or three times a day, but realize that that's going to be impermanent and it's going to need to shift and change as impermanence comes to visit you. When we begin our meditation practice and we're in the beginning stages of initializing that, we often have a dedicated schedule and also a dedicated space to meditate. Do you feel like that can have positives or do you feel like we should introduce some impermanence along the way? When you're first starting, I think it really does help to have kind of a stable place where you meditate at the same place, maybe around the same time and kind of generally kind of get into the habit of meditating. But once you start noticing that you're doing that consistently and you're noticing some of this peacefulness come into the mind, that's an ideal time to start introducing some impermanence into your meditation practice because the mind's not going to like impermanence. It wants to stay with that same meditation cushion in the same room with the same lighting at the same time of day or what have you. But that's the whole problem is the mind gets fixated into these things and it doesn't want to let go. So once you get your habit or your progress built up where you're noticing some consistency in your interest to meditate, you're meditating two or three times a day, you're noticing that your time is getting longer and longer, you're noticing some peacefulness come in, start shifting things around. Rather than meditate in your bedroom, maybe meditate in the living room or the dining room or in your backyard or something like this. Kind of shift the location. Maybe change the cushion. Maybe meditate at a friend's house. Maybe go to a temple, meditate there. Meditate at a park and kind of still have your home base where maybe once a day you're still meditating in that place that you've established as kind of like your main meditation venue. Still maintain that. But on your other sessions, kind of see if you can get out into other environments and kind of introduce some impermanence with the location, with the time of day, with different things like this, so that then you can train the mind to be comfortable to meditate, content and peaceful to meditate anywhere at any time, so that you only need the body, the mind, and the breath. And this way, when you do that, when you do things like what Nick's doing, he's traveling right now in Phuket, whereas if he was attached to a certain cushion or a certain device or something like this, when you travel around in different places in the world, you wouldn't be able to meditate because your mind is attached to something that's at home. So if you can build up your practice where it's comfortable moving around, you'll experience different lighting, you'll experience different sounds, you'll experience different environments. And this is all really healthy for the mind to see that it can be stable and content in these different environments. 
Now, if you've got one place that you tend to meditate the most, keep that as your home base. But then when you move out into another environment, do that, but then always kind of come back to your other place. And that's kind of like a place where you tend to meditate more regularly because what you're going to notice is that when you first break away from your main venue, those meditation sessions aren't going to be feeling as beneficial for you as it did in your original location. So when you go out to these other places, you won't maybe feel the same benefits coming to the mind. So you'd like to get at least one meditation session in that original place so that you're maintaining your practice and that's going forward. But then you're kind of going out and doing some of these other meditations at other places as well. And if you just pick one other location and you do that for two, three, four, five, six times, and you notice the stability coming into the mind and the peacefulness there, okay, now move to another location. You can do it that way too. So you kind of mix it up, but you're always looking to bring the stability and peacefulness into the mind. Rather than just mixing it up for the sake of mixing it up, you would like to get to the point where maybe you go to the same park and you're meditating at home. You go to the same park and home, and that's your two places. You get nice and stable and steady there, now it's kind of like home in a friend's house. And now you get nice and kind of stable there. And now it's like home in your backyard or something like that. And you get stable there. And now it's like, wow, look at all these different places. I've proven to the mind that I'm comfortable and content meditating anywhere, anytime, body, mind, and breath. When we're beginning our meditation practice, how important is it that we have a quiet place? And if we're in a place where it is difficult to find quiet, whether because of roommates or family or because we live near a busy street. Would you ever recommend earplugs or anything like that? I don't think quiet is necessarily the best because oftentimes when people are in, in silence or they're trying to achieve silence, the mind is just dealing with its own thoughts and it can be really difficult to meditate when you're first starting out in complete silence. They have places here in Thailand, like caves and stuff like that. That's one of the only places you can get some really, really good silence is you know down in a cave. And people will go there and they'll meditate for these really long periods of time. But doing that at the very beginning of your meditation practice, you can kind of get bombarded with thoughts. So the problem isn't the sound that you hear during meditation. The problem is that the mind wants silence. If you understand that, then you understand. So it's, the sounds aren't the problem. The problem is that the mind wants silence. So since the mind wants silence, that mental longing with a strong eagerness, it's actually healthy to put it into a situation where there is sound and train it to meditate regardless of whether there's sound or not. So even here in my primary place where I meditate in my room, there's three or four houses like really close to the corner of the house where my bedroom is. And there's families that live in those other houses and there's children. And sometimes they scream and yell and cry every once in a while. So I can be in meditation and hear that, that that's going on. And that's actually really helpful because if the mind's sitting in meditation, craving silence, and then it hears a kid that's crying, if you can maintain your contentedness and peacefulness, despite the noise, then that's really healthy because you're training the mind 
to not become discontent when it hears something that is opposite of what it's currently hearing. So the mind gets trained to accept this impermanence. So if you're used to training at home where it's somewhat quiet, then going into environments where there are some different sounds is really helpful. Or if you're at home and you're normally training and there's road noise or there are some noises around, go to places where it's a little bit quieter. So you're always trying to kind of mix up the variables and never give the mind a chance to latch on to anything. If it latches on to certain lighting or certain schedule, a certain cushion, certain sounds, a certain room, as long as it keeps latching on to these different things and holding on, it's going to eventually get discontent when it can't fulfill those things. So when you notice that you've got some stability in a particular location, you'd like to mix up the variables. And your idea, James, with earplugs might be a way if you're used to meditating in places where there's sound, put some earplugs in, switch up the variables. If you're used to meditating in places where it's quiet, go to places where there's sound or introduce a little bit of sound. You can kind of pull up a, a YouTube video or some soundtrack that has like road noise and kind of play that in the background while you're meditating or like an occasional sound. It's not something you would like to do every single session, but this is kind of things that you can introduce into your meditation just to mix up the variables every once in a while so that the mind doesn't get comfortable just with the same exact variables. And what you'll notice by introducing this impermanence, while the mind probably won't like it the first couple of sessions, after it gets past that in initial impermanence that it doesn't like, it will eventually get to more stability because you have introduced in some variables and mixed those up. And this will help the mind get more stable. I expect, given where we're at in the program, that there are quite a few listeners who are about four weeks into their meditation practice. And given that this is our final class, solely focused on breathing mindfulness meditation for a bit, I was wondering if you had any general advice or advice on common issues that they may be facing in the next few weeks or people face in this point of their meditation and any just general advice to give them? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges for people just getting started is just to take the initiative to actually meditate. No matter where you're at in your practice, even if you're just doing once a day for five minutes, just building the initiative, the motivation, the propensity to actually choose to meditate because it's like surf Facebook a little bit longer or play this video game a little bit longer or watch TV a little bit longer or go meditate. If your mind's starting to make the decision to go meditate and you'd rather do that and you're able to put down these other things, that's a really good place to be and you would like to get in the habit more and more where the mind is willing to let go of these other things, put those down and go meditate. And if you can build that up in the next few weeks where you're comfortable putting this down and you realize that that's what you need to do, that's really healthy for the mind. That's one of the biggest things to just getting started is having the propensity to go meditate. And then when you're meditating, the next thing that happens is if you do have a lot of thoughts, if there isn't stillness, there isn't quietness, then the mind can kind of become disgruntled and it can be irritated and annoyed. You know, the teacher is talking about all this peacefulness and all this stillness, but 
I haven't experienced that. You know, I'm getting all this noise and all this hecticness, this overthinking in my meditation. Well, the ultimate goal is what we're talking about with this peacefulness and calmness, but you're most likely not going to experience that off the bat. So if you're experiencing the propensity and the, the interest to meditate, that's great. But then when you're meditating, if you're noticing that there's this thoughts and this overactivity of the mind, that's completely normal. And that's actually reasons why you should be meditating. Sometimes when people first start meditating, they get bombarded with thoughts because they've been kind of sweeping the dust under the carpet for so long that now once they pull back the carpet in meditation, the dust starts flying around. It's like, whoa, I didn't know all that stuff was in there. And they can start feeling uncomfortable. And they might actually decide to give up because meditation is such a chore for them. But what I suggest you do is instead use that as motivation and be like, oh my goodness, look at all this stuff in the mind. I didn't even realize that stuff was in there. I better do something about it. This sweeping the dust under the carpet thing isn't working. Look at the discontentedness I'm experiencing in my life. Look at the struggles that I'm experiencing. Meditation in this eightfold path, which you know meditation is part of this eightfold path, this is the escape hatch from all the discontentedness. If you've been struggling, if you've had difficulties, if you've had a lot of challenges in your life, a lot of displeasure, a lot of despair, a lot of miseries, this is like the door to escape out of that. This is the escape hatch. Turning around and walking away and walking in the other direction isn't going to fix it. So if you're noticing that while you're in meditation that you are getting bombarded with thoughts or you're not getting the peacefulness don't allow that to dissuade you instead use that as motivation and encouragement and say wow i better do something about this because it's only going to get worse if you don't do anything about it it's only going to get worse if you work on it it's going to get better it just is going to take a gradual time in order for that to happen but if you give up there's not going to be any good results. So stick with it. Thank you, David. Let's get a Basin now. We have a question from Ran. She says, is it okay to attribute discontentedness which arises in the mind as your comma once you have grasped that it is impermanent? As in, as in, okay, that must be some comma left which the self has to experience. Or would the final teaching rest at this is arising and it will eventually fall? The discontentedness, yes, is an individual's gamma. It's cause and effect or action and result. But it's not this mysterious, magical thing that, you know, has to be experienced. But instead, the reason why it's somebody's gamma to experience discontentedness is because they're still craving desire attachment in the mind and they haven't made the right choices to gain the right wisdom to be able to eliminate the craving desire attachment. So it's their gamma in that they've chosen for one reason or another. Maybe they don't even know that this path exists, but regardless, there's a choice there that the mind is holding on to this craving desire attachment. That's the cause of the discontentedness. So from that standpoint, it is their gamma, but it's not to the extent that maybe what you're thinking about, Manal, like there's just a certain amount of discontentedness you have to burn off in order to burn through your gamma and then 
that's kind of like what was meant for you kind of thing. It's more about the cause and effect relationship that if there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, there's going to be discontentedness. And by choosing not to train the mind, then that's a choice to keep the craving, desire, attachment in the mind. Therefore, there's going to be discontentedness. So when discontentedness is diminishing, that's also your gamma, that by learning and practicing these teachings, gaining wisdom, training the mind through this entire path, limiting and eliminating craving, desire, attachment, when discontentedness is diminishing, that's the wholesome results of the wholesome decisions that you're making to reduce and eliminate craving, desire, attachment. No more question for now. Okay. Well, if you guys don't have any more questions, I'll go ahead and end class for today and just kind of give you guys a heads up about what we're going to be covering in our future classes. This Sunday, we're going to be in chapter one of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. From there, every Sunday, we're going to be doing a new chapter. And chapter one is titled Universal Teachings. It's related to the universal teachings of love, do no harm, and good morals. Here, I'm going to help you see how the teachings of the Buddha actually show up in some other traditions as well. So whatever you grew up with, or if you didn't grow up with any teachings whatsoever, there's this bridge to help you see that whether you've been practicing Christian teachings, Hindu teachings, Muslim teachings, Judaism, or any other traditions that are out there, you'll see these three universal teachings across all traditions, which is love, no harm, and good morals. And I'm going to help you to see this so that you can feel comfortable to kind of implement the Buddhist teachings as kind of the next step in your progression as a human being, where you can actually practice some of these teachings from other traditions and the Buddhist teachings at the same time. So we'll be talking about chapter one on Sunday. And if you read before or after or before and after, this will really help you to gain the most benefit out of the class that we're going to be having on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we're going to start our four-part series of loving-kindness meditation. I'm going to start that in a similar way that I started this four-part series, where I'm going to first talk about what the problem is in the unenlightened mind and how we're going to be using loving-kindness meditation in order to antidote or transform that and remedy these problems that we're encountering as part of the unenlightened mind. And when you understand the problems, then you'll understand the why. Why am I doing this meditation? And then it makes the how a lot more feasible because you understand the why and you understand the problem. So we're going to go through and talk about the problem of the unenlightened mind and what it is that we're using loving kindness for in order to antidote it. And then I'll actually teach it to you in the class and do a guided loving kindness meditation. And it's going to build on this breathing mindfulness meditation. And then the three subsequent classes, the entire four-part series, will do something similar to like we've done in this series, where each time we'll be elongating the meditation longer and longer. And I'll kind of refresh you along the way of what we taught in that first class so that you'll understand what we're actually learning as we progress in that four-part series. So Thank you all for joining today's class. Maintain your breathing mindfulness meditation practice. This is something you would like to maintain two to three times a day 
for 30 minutes or longer. And then we're going to be adding to that loving kindness. But it's still going to be the two or three sessions per day with breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness. So you'll see how we add in this loving kindness. But you'll need two to three sessions per day of meditation. And then you'll kind of see how breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation fit together. So I'll see you either on Sunday or Wednesday, perhaps even both. Until then, have a lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.